Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It's June 7th, 1972, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Aria, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. So it was on this day that Broadway audiences first went together like Ramalama Lama Kadadadingdidong because <laughs> the musical Grease opened at the Broadhurst Theatre, or theatre, as they say in the States, after a four-month run off-Broadway and thus beginning an eight-year run, which at the time was the longest in Broadway history, displacing Fiddler on the Roof to that title after 3,388 performances, although it is now only the 16th longest run in Broadway history, which makes you realise just how uh, big those blockbusters were in the 80s. Yeah, the longest running show now is Phantom of the Opera, which has 13,370 performances. And Greece got mixed reviews, but attracted an unusually high proportion of blue-collar audience members for Broadway. And I think this is the point that's often missed about Greece. It's about working-class people, and that's who then went to go and see it. Tickets were relatively cheap, in Broadway terms, for that reason. So it was about $70 a ticket rather than $120 a ticket. And that was achievable because it only has a cast of 16. None of them are celebrities. So it was a relatively cheap production to mount. Uh, And that, I think, was part of the secret of its success. You had not seen characters as crude as this, basically, on stage in a Broadway musical before. Yeah, and the fascinating thing is that the the version that most of us are familiar with really wasn't the version that started out. It sounds like it was quite dark and edgy and the characters kept grabbing their crotches apparently and they swore a lot and whole numbers were written in and written out between the time when the first show was mounted and the movie reached so many of our eyeballs. It's hard to even imagine what that first show looked like. Well, the first show was in Chicago. So before it even went to off-Broadway, it was staged in Chicago and it was obviously to people from Chicago very clearly about Chicago and specifically about mostly ethnic immigrants in Chicago. That's the other thing. So the, the word Greece, I didn't know this, the word Greases, which inspired the title, was a term that would have been understood in the 1960s as something that originally was a derogatory term for the mostly machine labourers of Hispanic and Polish and Italian descent in Chicago, and was then being applied to talk about the 1950s. You'd be talking about their kids who had embraced Greece culture, which is to do with the hair, uh, but it's not just the hair. It's the leather jackets, the doo-wop and all that stuff was a subculture, basically. None of that was evident to me watching the movie. Yeah, well, that just goes to show what a transformation it had undergone by then. I mean, the first stage show was in 1971 in Chicago, and it was written by a 29-year-old composer, Jim Jacobs. And Grease was set only 12 years before it was written. It was based on his experiences as a teenager. Yeah. And so it wasn't looking back fondly at the 50s from the perspective of, you know, a middle-aged man. Mm, no, it'd be like doing a musical now yeah. about 2008. 
Yeah, exactly. So it was edgy, it was gritty, it wasn't trying to make it something that it wasn't. It was supposed to be showing you what this subculture was really like with the sex and the swearing, etc. And it's also something important to note is that not many songs that we now associate with Greece were in it. The ones that were still in the original were the rock and roll pastiches like Born to Hand Jive, We Go Together, Beauty School Dropout, you know, is that kind of doo-wop parody. And it was mm. just parodying the kinds of songs that were being listened to. It didn't have any of those completely in anachronistic 1970s disco influenced songs like you're the one that i want so you're the one that i want greece is the word which is written by barry gibb by the way fact fans Mm. hopelessly devoted to you and sandy four big numbers from the movie right if you're a fan of greece you're probably a fan of those songs none of those are in the stage show although if you go and watch it now they are because obviously you would (laughs) you've got to give the people what they want interestingly though in 2011 the american theater company restaged what they were calling the original greece and they went right back in this sort of quasi archaeological act looking for the script they they tried to reconstruct what it would have been at the time but lots of the stuff that we know about the 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 version that we've all seen just wasn't in there. You know, they had to ramp up the the romance between Danny and Sandy, and they and the film, as you say, like you're the one that I want. Doesn't that didn't feature? So it ended with this song called "Kiss It," <laughs> and Sandy is kind of, kind of comes out as this quasi dominatrix, apparently instead of being just the kind of female Danny. Um, mm. So yeah, it just sounds radically different in so many ways. It started mm. off with the transfer to Broadway from Chicago, kind of rounding off the show's edges. You know, making it less Chicago specific and toning down some of the bad language but also some of the ethnic jibes there was a lot of ethnic humour based on the rivalry between you know Italians and Polish etc but I think that's a bit of a shame that in the case of um, Sandra for example like her character she was Sandy Dombrowski in in the stage play like she's clearly Polish still like prim and proper and virginal and all those things that Olivia Newton-John is supposed to be but then like rewriting it for I'm an Australian who's relocated randomly to this <laughs> suburb. It's such a completely different thing, isn't it? It would have been understood to be about ethnic minorities then. Yeah, and I mean, the the two co-creators, Warren Casey and Jacobs, they were, I think, actively excluded from the film version. So as it went on and the edges kept getting buffed and buffed further, their involvement decreased and they must have felt very weird by... <laughs> degrees <laughs> um, but yeah they must have felt totally weird by the end of it watching a show that had started out being one thing and now was hugely popular as this quite other thing yeah well my, might have felt weird all the way to the bank i mean well, it, when it closed on broadway it grossed over 70 million dollars that's the play yeah. before the film had mm. even come out and right. returned over four hundred thousand dollars for every ten thousand dollars that had been invested into it it happened at this amazingly specific time in history where so much happened between the original station in 71 and the film in 78 which was this gigantic 50s nostalgia fest had mm. kicked in a lot of people date it to 1969 when Sha Nana the, the doo-wop revival group appeared at Woodstock and then you had stuff like the film American Graffiti which was all about like it was I think it was actually set in 1960 but it was very much of that era that came out in 1973 and then Happy Days first aired in 1974 so it was peak 1950s nostalgia by the time that the film came out in 1978 people were looking at the 50s in a very different way from the way they had been in 1971 mm. and Casey said you know I haven't the foggiest idea what, why it was successful and he, he said he felt like they'd been involved in the creation of a new jazz age era nostalgia but for the 50s instead of for the 20s you know so he, he felt that they'd kind of played into it but sort of without intending to and yet I always as a kid hated Greece 
And that's because the sexuality of it terrified me, in essence. <laughs> you know, intense masculinity of the T-Birds, but also the kind of parading femininity of the girls and, like, the boys wearing leather and singing about cars. And all of them being 40. And, yeah, and that. <laughs> I watched it when I was 10 and I was just like, I, I know I'm supposed to think this is funny. Yeah. And that comes from, like, a status that I don't have i.e. not being a virgin and looking back fondly at the 1950s and having some sense of wisdom about this period. Whereas I'm just watching you thinking, is this what men are supposed to be like? Am I supposed to sing songs about girls creaming themselves? Am I supposed to be having sex in cars? <laughs> yes, yes and yes. <laughs> you know, I pretended to like Greece, but I actually found Greece quite intimidating, which wasn't helped by the fact that then when I was about 11, my class teacher, Penny McCormick, if you're listening, uh, had had some success in 1990 with her previous <laughs> class of 10-year-olds <laughs> um, at the oh, no. uh, Leavers Ball at my school. So my school used to do this event for the sixth formers before they left the school, which was the only event in the school calendar where you're allowed to drink alcohol on school premises because everyone was kind of nearly 18. And it was kind of like a notorious sort of, you know, alcohol fest. And the little kids were kind of paraded in to do a little show for the older kids as they were leaving. And so her thing that she did at the Leavers Ball was she got her group of 10-year-olds then in 1990 to do the Grease medley, which was in the charts then. <laughs> and it had gone down so well that she did it with our year group the following year. But there were a few key differences. We were notably less confident than the 1990 intake, <laughs> number one. Number two, the gender split was 85% boys. So wow. we were singing like Summer Lovin' with three girls there. <laughs> it has some quite unpleasant connotations anyway. You know, did she put up a fight and all that stuff? Yeah. But in that context, like, we were ten, and we were mostly boys crowding round girls, <laughs> singing about their sexuality. The whole thing was just embarrassing. We rehearsed it every week for a whole year leading up to the oh, Leavers Ball. And from memory, I don't remember performing it. So I think she must have realised towards the end of the summer term, this ain't ever going to fly. We're going to have to do something else. Or it's else. just such a dark spot that you've had to actively <laughs> erase it. it. This will come up in therapy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> why, why couldn't I sing Alone at a Drive-In Movie instead from the music? <laughs> Tomorrow. If you chuck enough random ingredients onto some bread, then eventually, of course, you're going to invent a Hawaiian pizza. Love the show? Support the show. Patreon.com slash Retrospectors. Part of the ACAST Creator Network. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.